This edition of the Writers Forum is brought to you by the law firm of Alker and Rather LLC. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Veronica G. Henry about her new book, The Foreign Exchange. Ms. Henry is the author of three books, and her writing has appeared in several literary magazines, including the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. She's also written articles for magazines like Women at Home and The Daily Mail. Welcome to the show, Veronica. Thank you for having me, Mike. Well, let's, let's jump in uh, right away on the new novel. The Foreign Exchange, as I understand it, is part of a series following a character named Raina Dumont. Uh, correct? And is this That's the, correct. Is this the second book in the series? This is the second book in the series. The first was released last year in 2021, and that one was uh, titled The Quarter Storm. This, the second in the series, was just released uh, last month. And it's called The Foreign Exchange. It, and I've read it, and it's very interesting, especially for anyone who's down here in New Orleans. Now, let me ask you this. Writers will sometimes tell me that instead of starting with a story idea, they start with a character idea. Which was it for you with this series? Um, I started definitely with the story idea. Uh, I'm a reader of a wide range of fiction. I read everything that I can get my hands on and nonfiction as well you know, for research purposes. Um, but for me, reading mysteries um, has always been uh, one of the things that I love to do. And I knew that I wanted to create a mystery uh, story, but with speculative elements, and then something set in New Orleans. So for me, it was the, the story idea that came first. Ah, okay. Well, it works very well. Um, and now one other thing I'm told, speaking about characters, is that sometimes when novelists create a good character... The character kind of helps write the story. Did you find that mm -hmm. to be true with Raina, your central character? Um, 100% and you're spot on. Um, it's, it's one of those magical things that happens during the, the writing process. Um, you have, it's like I start out with an outline, um, and I very quickly find myself veering off of that outline based on where the character decides that they want to go. And oftentimes it's, um, it's a discovery process that, uh, can't really be put into words. It's just you go into this kind of zone um, where you're writing and writing, and then you have an idea, but the character says, no, I want to do this instead. So you kind of just go with it. Um, and it's part of that, the fun part of the creative process to kind of see where the characters want to go and where they take the story and how that you know differs from what your original vision was. And usually I'm pretty happy with the result. You know, if there were listeners that will write in or call and always say they're fascinated by that idea that a, that a fictional character mm -hmm. helps write the story. But, but yeah. what I've learned, and tell me if this is true for you as well, as you're writing, you kind of live with this character, right? I mean, you're walking around, yeah. you're doing your daily stuff, but then something hits you about Raina. Yeah, they, it, it, the book takes over your entire life. <laughs> um, and, and my family and my friends can attest to that. <laughs> it's something that they've come to understand, if not um, appreciate, I guess. But you do. Once, once it starts, that idea starts to germinate in your mind, right? It starts out with a, a really small seed for me. It could be a, a sentence. It could be a paragraph. It could be, you know, just that, that idea. And then from there, it starts to grow, and you, you just mentally start watering that seed every day. And mm -hmm. over time, uh, I'm sorry, did you have a follow-up? No, no, go ahead. I do, but go finish your thought. Sure, sure. Um, over time, that, that seed starts to grow and, and develop roots, and the, the characters um, become a part of your everyday life. Everything that you do, every moment, from, 
from your shower to, to for me, the day job sometimes, to, you know, going to the grocery store. There are little things that happen um, that, you know, may give you an idea, something that you want to weave into the story, or you see something that, uh, hear a bit of dialogue, hear someone talking, and you say, that's something that, that Sweet Belly would say. Well, um, so, well, yeah, mm-hmm. it becomes a real part of your, your everyday life. Well, since you say that, let me ask you this, and, and I'm, I'm curious about this. When you create a character, and let's use Raina as the example, your, your central character in the foreign exchange, and you have to put them in situations that they have to deal with and you have to write about, do you learn about yourself in that process by putting yourself into that character and into situations you might not otherwise be in? So, yeah, writing a character um, that's different from my own background, even, it just really helps me to understand a different perspective. Um, and sometimes the things that I learn from those characters help, you know, change my perspective. And that's one of the things that I hope that um, people get from fiction in general, but definitely my fiction, by looking at, you know, things through a different lens, that maybe it helps um, change you in some regard. Yeah, that's fascinating. All right, so look, the story is set in New Orleans with numerous references to the Crescent City that locals will recognize. So I have to ask you, what is your relationship with New Orleans? And did you have to do some research about the city before writing? Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the biggest compliments, Mike, that I have gotten is emails from people um, that from New Orleans that say, you nailed it. Are you from New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Hey, you did a great job on this. You got, I know this place, and you described it perfectly. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, but I'm not from New Orleans. Um, I love your city. Um, I've visited a couple of times. Frankly, I was just there um, last month at Baldwin and Company Bookstore uh, uh-huh. doing an event there. Um, but I love the city. And, and just from my first visit, um, I felt um, that really that pull to set a story there. Uh, so I had to do a ton of research, um, and it was fascinating research. It's a city that, you know, steeped in a lot of uh, culture, a lot of history, and so I just kind of got some books and delved into it. Um, I had maps, maps all over the place so that I could make sure that I got streets correct and that I, I had a good view of what the city looked like. And um, having been there and visited, you, when you get the opportunity as an author to visit a place, um, it, it takes on a whole new life for you that you can't get from just reading. Um, so being there, talking to the people, driving around the neighborhoods, um, that kind of also helped, you know, just really influence uh, the work. And I, I hope that came through on the page. Well, it did. In fact, as a native New Orleanian, I was really impressed by that. You know, we always laugh down here when, like, on a TV show supposed to be set in New Orleans and they show, show cars going up a hill or something like that, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. which we don't have, right? All right, so the mm-hmm. story has a heavy dose of voodoo in it. And so let me get you to start off with this question or answer this question. Raina is a mambo who was born in Haiti. What is a mambo? A mambo is a voodoo priestess, someone who has studied under a, an initiated person and then gone through the initiation process to become a priestess. Um, there are certain things that I researched about that process, about becoming a mambo or an ungan, which is the male version, um, a priest. Um, but there are things that I can't know and, and frankly, things that I shouldn't know, uh, you know, as an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to, um, through, you know, books, through talking to academics who have studied and visited both regions, um, I was able to, you know, get a sense, I think, a strong sense of the tradition. I actually spoke to a mambo as well. I thought that was really important Wow, yeah. um, to get her thoughts on what I should 
say, what I shouldn't say, just, just kind of get clarification on some of the things that I read. So I think I wanted to, my goal was to pay as much respect and reverence as I could to the tradition without trying to pass myself off as an initiate or an expert, if I that you. makes sense. Okay, yeah. Well, in the book, you distinguish between Haitian voodoo and New Orleans voodoo. Can you, in mm-hmm. a sentence or two, tell us what the difference is? Um, certainly. The Haitian voodoo tradition is probably more based um, more closely to the West African tradition that was brought over by the enslaved. Um, and then in New Orleans, I think the difference is the syncretism um, of the Catholic tradition. Mm. So it's, it's that blend of cultures, I think, the Spanish, the French, and all of that. And then, what again, what the people were able to do and, and sort of bring the Catholic saints um, into the tradition and associate some of the voodoo and, and Haitian um, gods and goddesses with Catholic saints. So that's, that's the main difference. You know, in fact, I, I, I wrote this quote down because not only being a native New Orleanian, but also having been raised Catholic, New Orleans mm-hmm. is a mostly Catholic city. And early in the book, right. you wrote that the Haitian spirits in New Orleans, quote, were reshaped and venerated under the brilliantly cloaked guise of Catholic saints, close quote. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that mm-hmm. idea come from? <laughs> um, I think it came from, you know, and that's part of the research, um, as I understood it, you know, when the, the enslaved people came to the Americas, right. um, one of the things that they were forbidden to do was to practice their traditional religion. Mm-hmm. So um, in their infinite wisdom and in their, um, you know, just imagination, they were able to say, okay, um, what we'll do is adopt your, your Catholic saints. We'll adopt your tradition, but it's going to be a guise for our own, um, our own gods, our own goddesses. Um, in the, the Haitian voodoo case, the, the Loa. So um, it was just an effort to maintain a connection to the past, to be able to practice your tradition um, without being persecuted. So I, I think it was just an ingenious um, thing to do. Yeah, I, I had never thought of it, but it, it resonates with me, so I'm sure it will mm-hmm. with others. Now, Raina, Raina is a mambo, but she's, and, and as, at least as I read the story, she's more than a mambo, right? That's correct. Um, so in this story, I blended, you know, a traditional mystery um, and set in the real world with what we call speculative elements. So speculative is a, an umbrella term that references things like um, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, uh, magical realism, things that um, kind of go outside of uh, real world confines. Um, so she is a mambo that's still, that's connected to her loa is Urzuli. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes her different is that, you know, in the traditional voodoo religion, your, um, the loa may come and, and possess your body for a time during a ritual and then they leave. But in Raina's um, case, she maintains a little bit of the loa with her mm-hmm. at all times. And that gives her certain abilities that are different than regular people. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the story you have, and you've touched on this a little bit already, you have several references to various rituals and potions. Did you have to do research on voodoo and its practices before starting the series so that you would understand that? Absolutely. There was um, a ton of research that I had to do just on the the West African tradition uh, and what that looked like, just sort of the origins um, of it, how it evolved over time, how it again transferred over to the Americas. And then all of its iterations, right, things like Candomblé and Santeria and Voodoo and even Hoodoo, as 
practice mm-hmm. a lot myself. Um, those are all offshoots of that tradition. So, um, yes, uh, quite a bit of reading. Um, at, you know, there are people that have written books about um, both the religion, the tradition, and also just general, um, you know, some of the healing recipes and things like that. Because overall, uh, Vodou is a, a tradition of healing, ancestor um, veneration, and and um, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was just reading along all of those lines. Uh, and then taking license, right? As an author, you have mm-hmm. to, I didn't want to write anything verbatim, of course, it's not what you do, but just sort of let all of that material bake into my mind and then put my own spin on it. Yeah. Well, you've touched on this also, but while Raina is a mambo, there are also some characters who are ungan. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Raina's father is one. Is there a difference, right. or is, are we just talking about male versus female? We're just talking about male versus female, actually. There's um, no difference. Um, from what I've read, there are even men that are associated with uh, female loa and vice versa. Okay. Um, but typically, you know, a man might choose a loa that's more male-oriented, and a woman might choose one that's more female-oriented. But there are no, no hard and fast rules about that. Okay. Uh, but it's the same practice, same tradition. Okay. And there's also a young man who appears in the story um, and who may be a Benonite. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Can you explain yep. what that is? Um, that's something that's all of my own creation. Ah, so, okay. It, yeah. Good. <laughs> In the story. That's, that's one of those areas where I was telling you, you take license. That, that's so, good. Um, my thought there was that him being directly from Benin mm-hmm. and coming from the source uh, or one of the sources of the tradition, that he would be of a new um, group, for lack of a better term, of practitioners that would be called a Benonite. Okay, all right. Well, in the book, Raina's father seems very happy with the fact that his daughter is pursuing voodoo, but her mother really doesn't, mm-hmm. didn't want her to do so. Am I reading too much into this tension to see that the father represents the old country, Haiti, while the mother represents the new country, America, wanting Raina to break away from it and be more American? Uh, no, you read um, perfectly into that. That's exactly what I was going for. Um, Raina is kind of caught in the middle between them. Her father is from a long line of voodoo practitioners in Haiti, and he wants that line to continue. And in fact, the Loa want that line to continue. Um, but when they left Haiti, um, during the story, um, I set her and her family in Haiti during the era in Raina Papadoc. Mm-hmm. So it was during that time when they made their escape and came to New Orleans. Um, and in the new city, her mom, and even when they were still there, frankly, I think her mother was more committed to her having a different life, to going to college, to perhaps working in corporate America. But, of course, her father was uh, uh, on the opposing side of that. So that was a source of conflict and, and friction um, within the family and, and eventually drove the parents apart um, and left Raina in the middle. And, and she tried the other way. She tried her mom's way. She did go to Southern University. She got a degree, but, but didn't last very long in corporate America. You know, with this tension, though, even though you've said it in the context of this story, is very relatable to folks in general. Anybody who's, who's mm-hmm. got, um, you know, an immigration or immigrant, excuse me, background can understand right. that tension between the old versus the new country. Now, there, yeah. are, there are a lot of other characters of importance in the book, like Taika and Daryl and Lamar and Arthur. But I have to laugh now, being a native New Orleanian, every one of those folks seems to be engaged in some kind of hustle of some type. 
but mm-hmm. but they, they could still help Raina. But how did you come mm-hmm. up with this idea to make them, I'm going to call them um, flawed in a way. That's, a, that's actually a mm-hmm. compliment. How did you come up with that mm-hmm. idea that these folks would be involved in these different hustles? Because I just thought it would be more fun, frankly. Uh-huh. Um, it, I, I love creating characters um, who kind of skirt that uh, moral line, yeah. um, but who are still at their heart, well, aside from Arthur, <laughs> um, <laughs> but who are still at their heart good people. Um, Tika is, has comes from challenging circumstances, but she does what she does to survive, to try to take care of her father, and to support her friends. Um, Sweet Belly is more on the, the legal side. He runs the bar, but he is um, he's sort of a conduit for information um, that may skirt that line between legal and, and illegal. Um, and he has no problem functioning in that role. And, and he thinks it's a big secret, but he operates largely kind of out in the open. Um, but creating that, that whole cast of characters, um, I, I think, was... Um, fun and I plucked them from different places, right? Things that I've read, people that I've seen, um, even characters that I've seen on TV, mm-hmm. and it all kind of goes into this this mixing bowl and comes out as, as something unique. Well, you know, as to Taika, my joke to myself was, I'd love to catch a drink with her, but I'm not sure I'd turn my back <laughs> on her. Um, but um, yeah, that's, but, that's it. But do, do you find you touched on this a little bit? But do you find that I'm going to use the word flawed again? But that such flawed characters are much more interesting to create. Oh, they absolutely are, because I think it's more reflective of us all, right? I mean, maybe not to the degree of some of the characters that you see in my fiction, because, you know, you gotta got to uh, improvise a little bit on that. But I think all of us can see aspects of ourselves in these characters. There might be things that Tika does that you might say, I'd never do that, but boy, sometimes I'm angry enough, you know, to, to think about it. Uh-huh. Um, so allowing that to play out on the page in fiction I think gives people um, just someone that they can identify with, but still understand that, you know, they may have um, flaws themselves and that perhaps they'll develop empathy for people who may do things that you may not always agree with. Yeah. Now, there is a a rather massive scam at the center of the story, and I don't want to give Mm -hmm. that away. But how did you come up with that centerpiece? Going back to what we talked about originally, was that part of your original outline, or did it evolve organically over time? Yeah, that was actually a part of the outline going forward, um, from the beginning, rather. Uh, It was based on a story that I saw on 60 Minutes, the the news program that comes on 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 Sundays. Yeah, it was a John Wertheim story. And like you said, I won't give it away. Um, But looking at that story and understanding, um, and and I'll just say it's because it's in there and involves sports. Mm -hmm. But looking at that story, I thought, okay, this is this went with that that general idea that I had that I wanted a detective and wanted to be based in New Orleans. Um, that gave me the, the seed for the story. Well, you know, being a sports fan myself, it resonated with me. I could easily see how something like this could happen. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it works well. Um, all right, let me ask you this. Towards the end of the novel, um, there's some language there. Am I correct in reading that what you've set out at the end or towards the end is kind of the intro for what's going to be uh, Mambo Reina's next adventure? That's what I hope will be her next adventure. Okay. You know how, how publishing goes. A lot will depend on, on how the series yeah. continues to do. But my, my hope is to continue um, in this world and continue that adventure 
And I did intentionally write the end um, in that manner to set up uh, her next uh, investigation. Well, it piqued my interest. Well, let, let, me, let me end with this as a little bit of a different question. Um, you know, I often ask authors, why do you write? And sometimes folks will say to make a social point or a political point, uh, or some will tell me they simply write for themselves, and a few will say, you know, they do it for the money. Why, what makes you want to write? Um, I will say that I, I don't, it's, it's going to sound probably a little bit, um, I don't know, extra, mm-hmm. but I can't see myself without writing. It, oh, I, it fills a well in me huh? that um, nothing else does. And um, even this week, I'm taking a break from writing because I'm, I'm working on a, a new novel. Um, and I'm waiting for edits to come back on that from, from my editor. Mm-hmm. But this week, without having that to do, um, I've just been kind of walking around in a bit of a daze. Yeah. So yeah. writing for me is is equivalent to to breathing, and I just can't see myself without it. But is it? I'm I'm fascinated by this as well. Is it? And I I, just, I don't know what are the word to use. Is it therapy mm-hmm. of sorts? Is it therapy of sorts to get this out of yourself? I think so, because as an introvert, um, being able to express myself on page is always easier, I think, than doing so in person. Even though um, I'm an introvert that does a good good job of appearing as an extrovert when I need to, <laughs> um, but it's, it's much easier to express these ideas, these thoughts um, on paper. Um, even though it's still a very vulnerable vulnerable position to be in, because when people read their words, they you know read your words rather they they form judgments about you, um, and and that's a again a very vulnerable place to be. But I still enjoy it. Well, let me, I, you know, I said it was going to be a final. Here, here's a final question for you. And, sure. and I hear this sometimes. I'm curious if you've had this experience. You write your novel, you put it out there, and you start to get feedback, and you get some responses from people that find things in the novel that you never thought of. Have mm-hmm. you had that happen? I absolutely have had that happen. Uh, I have had people to reach out and say, hey, um, have you thought about doing this? for your next book. I've had people that reach out and say, um, uh, you got this right or you got this wrong. Um, but I always um, look forward to reading, you know, stuff that I get from, from people who appreciate the work um, because that's kind of the, the real bonus from writing. We don't do this for money. If you, if you get real lucky, you, you make some in this business, right. but you do it because you have to and, and to make a, an impact on people. And, and, you know, that makes it worth it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writers' Forum, and I've been speaking with author Veronica G. Henry about her new novel, The Foreign Exchange. Veronica, is there a website or other social media where folks can go to learn more about the book, about the series, and about you? Absolutely. Um, My website is veronicahenry.net. I'm on Instagram uh, at the Wordslinger, and I'm on Twitter at Veronica Writes. Veronica, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. This edition of the Writers' Forum has been brought to you by the law firm of Alker and Rather, LLC. Tune in next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m. or Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m. to hear the next segment of the show.